2: i'm scott wapner and you're listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast the most profitable hour of the trading day we record this live weekdays at 12 eastern listen in carl thanks very much welcome to the halftime report i'm scott wapner front and center this hour the road ahead for stocks which are now on pace for their worst month of the year the investment committee mapping out their best strategies for the months ahead Joining me for the hour today, everybody here at Post 9, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Jason Snipe, and Jim Labenthal. Let's check the market, see what we're doing uh, today. We're red uh, across the board, as you can see. Dow's down 136, S&P a quarter of 1%, NASDAQ's weaker. Uh, there's the 10-year note yield, 458. Uh, all right, so, Joe, we're heading for the worst month of the year, as I said. Yeah. But here's something from Bespoke, because this is how I want to kick off the conversation, okay? okay? Last four Septembers for the S&P 500. 2020, we're down 4%. 2021, down near 5. 2022, down more than 9. Okay. 2023, down more than 5. All right, that sounds bad. Okay. Last three Q4s. 2020, up almost 12. Okay. 2021, up almost 11. Okay. 2022, up 7. 2023, question mark. Do we have a repeat?
3: Does history repeat itself? Do we have a good fourth quarter for stocks? Okay, so fill in that I believe it will be a positive quarter. I've said that on air. I believe right now you have significant quarterly weakness. We'll talk about the reasons why in a second. But I do think that the prevailing trend of 2023 takes hold once again, and it's led by mega caps. It's led by technology because in this environment... They are the companies that represent quality. They are the companies that can endure with a 30-year Treasury trading 4.70 as you come on air. That's why we're seeing the S&P in retreat right now. Coming into the quarter end, you've broken below the 50-day moving average. You've broken below the 100-day moving average for the S&P. You took out yesterday's low. Now it's in sight, 200-day moving average at 4,196. The end of the quarter is going to be sloppy. It's going to be messy. The price of oil, 50 52 week high today towards $94 inventories at ridiculously low levels, okay. yields higher. You've got in front of you in the near term a lot of challenges, but I think earnings come through and you're going to get a positive return right, in q Sounds
2: all good, you it know, sure does. A lot of it's optimistic energy behind it. Why is the Nasdaq then the worst of the majors over the last month as rates
3: have risen? Um, I would say that. It was the clear leader in 2023. And I think when you have an environment where it's obvious that it's risk-off, you will generally tend to see the leadership in the market be utilized as quote-unquote an ATM. And I think that's exactly what's happened.
2: Farmer Jim made a call, I think it was about a week ago, which suggested, and these are your words, I believe, you're gonna get a rip-your-face-off rally into the end of the year. So you think history stays in tune here. September's bad, fourth quarter begins, and then you have a run to the, uh, run to the finish.
4: Yeah, I'm going to stand by the call. I agree with everything Joe just said. Um, I do think, And you've been saying it since July. I've been there with you, that September would be September. It's always got a reason. September being September. This one's obvious. The market is adjusting to higher interest rates, but interest rates aren't going to keep going higher. I know Jamie Dimon says differently. I don't think they're going to keep going higher because inflation is coming down. We can talk about oil, but if we're going to talk about oil, let's talk about rents, which are coming down fast. Let's talk about goods deflation. Go buy a toaster. And you'll see exactly what I mean. Now, the point that I'm driving at here is you've got a strong economy. Look at durable goods today. Look at jobless claims last week. We'll get an update on that tomorrow. You've got inflation coming down. You've got a Fed that looks like it might be done. You put this all together, you've got a price correction here for a very logical reason. And this is a good time to be buying, which is what I'm doing. I'm with Joe on this.
2: Okay. Number one, did you you buy a toaster recently? I
4: actually (laughs) did. Okay. $29.
2: Okay. So... (laughs) I needed a toaster, (laughs) Scott. Goods inflation. Goods deflation. Goods goods inflation is coming down. Okay. Okay. Uh, Housing inflation is coming down. The problem is that when you try and get somebody to service the toaster, I hope you bought a good one for 29 (laughs) bucks. But if you need service on it, non-housing services inflation is not coming down fast enough. Yeah. That's one of the issues. Yeah. Um, now, you're also betting that the economy is going to obviously remain resilient enough that you're going to have a, a race to the finish, correct? Yeah.
4: Yeah, I love what you just did, because what you just did and you stopped short, which is fine. You started laying out the risk. There's a ton of risks out there. You want to keep going on the UAW strike, uh, student uh, loan repayments picking up. Obviously, there are risks. There are always risks. That's what opportunity comes from. And with the S&P 500 off roughly 7 percent from that late July high. And Joe, I think you're exactly right. I mean, really exactly right. The 200 day moving average is in sight. It's another one and a half percent. I'm not going to cry over that. But but you have to acknowledge that this year, the trend is higher. I'm just parroting everything you said, Joe. The trend is higher, the 200-day is moving up. This is a good position for a fourth quarter Santa Claus rally. I'm surprised somewhat
2: by the results of our Delivering Alpha Investor Survey. On the markets right now, question one. Do you believe this is a bear market rally or a new bull market? Jenny, 61% of those who answered this question said it's a bear market Mm. rally two-thirds only 39 percent say we've entered a new bull market that surprised you well you
5: know what i actually answered that question and then i wrote in and i wrote you should have given us all a third option because i don't think it's so binary as either a new bull market
2: which way did you vote
5: okay so forget the writing how'd you vote i think i put bull market But I don't really remember because I you don't remember. Or, you don't remember? No, because I was frustrated that there were only two. Because here's what I think: I think we're in a long period of consolidation. And what I do in these really frustrating markets—remember the conversation we had after the show, like two weeks ago or three weeks ago—and you're like, "This market has to just start going up. It's killing me. It's, it's like so torturous." And I'm I don't like, remember that. Okay, and I said something like, "Buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be a long time of torturous and painful." And and you just shook your head at me. You're like, oh, "I hope not. It's miserable. Like it's miserable, right? It's miserable having." a couple years of being back to where we were two and a half years ago on the S&P 500. And so, so I wanted a third option. Because I think what we're doing is we're consolidating. And so why I might have put bear market, I'm sorry, bull market, If I can't even remember, is because I believe that we're in a very, very long-term perpetual bull market, right? The market trends up 8 to 10% over time. I believe that that is true, and that is on track. And when I get frustrated by periods like this, which I'm frustrated by, I look at like a 30-year 50-year, 100-year history of the market. And what you see is it's upward trending, but there are multi-year periods where it's consolidating. So I didn't like either of those because I, know, I didn't think is, either of them were precise enough my This is going to
2: be, Jason, a hard to swallow fact for many if, in fact, this is a bear market rally (laughs) instead of a new bull market, because there are many who are banking on the fact that it is is a new bull market and that, you know, we haven't just gone through this period that's essentially a long drawn out head fake and we're just going to revert back to what the misery of 22 looked like.
1: Yeah. So I think for me, you know, as, as it relates to what's going on, I think the cop out always is seasonality, like mm. September. And, and and it is in September traditionally is the worst month in the market. But what I would say is and, and it's reiterating a lot of the points that I already made. Yes. Inflation is coming down. Core inflation is starting to come down. Um, You know, if I if I look at some of the some of the indicators, I feel like have have pushed the market down its yields. obviously, on the run. dollars been on the run. Oil's been on the run. Transport's are obviously um, in correction territory. But as I look to the fourth quarter and I look at the chase, you know, a lot of folks are all sides at the beginning of this year. And I think a lot of asset managers are going to look to chase the run that I see in the in the fourth quarter. And I think earnings to what Joe Joe mentioned, earnings will be strong.
2: Even if, Joe, (laughs) the answers to the question on delivering alpha survey about whether you think there's going to be a recession, the winner 41% said mid-24. So if you believe that there's going to be a recession mid-24, are you still thinking that there would be enough money behind a chase into the end of 23? Or would you just stay in cash, cash equivalents, treasuries? Areas that offer less risk than stocks, if you see uh, eight months from now or so, nine months of recession?
3: The recovery in Q4 will be a reaction, I believe, from strong earnings. And you look into 2024, I absolutely see the economy weakening, so that might be the first point of disagreement with Jimmy. Um, I am never one to believe that you completely move into cash Is it attractive right now to look at the treasury market and to see a 5% yield? Yes, without question it is. But I would be looking at other areas of the market that traditionally, when I say traditionally, I mean in the last five years, haven't really rewarded investors. And that's maybe looking outside of the US at things like emerging market debt. That's looking at private credit. That's looking at potentially extending duration thinking about the next three to five years and then coming back to the commodities market where there clearly is the strongest conviction that you can find in terms of what the fundamentals represent. If you're studying fundamentals right now within the marketplace, you've got generative AI, which is impacting technology and mega caps. You have cybersecurity. Outside of that, in the equity universe, it's very difficult to find positive thesis In the commodities market, you could clearly look towards energy, which has the supply, demand and balance. We know about that. And also the treasury market, Scott. I will tell you this, the treasury market, and you have a significant amount of shorting going on right now from the hedge fund and speculative community. And right now they're right. And the Federal Reserve did nothing last week to push up against that. But I don't think they're right because of inflation. I think they're right because of the concerns about the debt supply. I think they're right because Japan and China are stepping back from buying our debt. And I think they're right because of the concerns surrounding the economy being a little bit stronger than maybe the Federal Reserve is comfortable with.
2: Okay. Housekeeping real quick. I mentioned DA delivering Alpha a couple times. Tomorrow. It is tomorrow. Uh, we've got some great guests. I'll be talking with Brad Gersner and Bill Ackman. And you can still register. QR code on your screen. September 28th, New York City. Don't miss that. Uh, we're looking very much forward to that, so we got, we got that out of the way. Um, moves in the market, I wonder what this expresses in terms of belief on where things are going. Jenny bought DocuSign. Right. Why'd you buy DocuSign?
5: So we bought this for our Discipline Growth Strategy. And this to me, when, when Joe said it's hard to find places of conviction, I think that's true broadly. But then on a m- kind of micro level from a, from a stock picking bottom up, I think it's pretty easy and what we're seeing is if you look back to the 2022, sorry, to the 2020 bubble stocks, the stocks that bubbled up and then got slapped back down to reality, there's some really interesting kind of fallen angels in that. So here's where DocuSign is today. DocuSign today is trading at a 15 times multiple with a 7% free cash flow yield. And so for our discipline growth strategy, one of the hurdles is a 5% or better free cash flow yield. So check that box, that's surprising. They're the pioneer and leader in e-signature. They have, this is crazy. They have a billion users, right? But they have 1.4 million paying subscribers. Of those paying subscribers, subscribers, a 1,000 of them generate revenues per per subscriber of over 300,000 a year. So it's interesting because when you think about a billion users, only 1.4 million paying subscribers like Gilman Hill for example, we use DocuSign, but we count as one even though there's multiple employees at Gilman Hill who use it and send it out to our clients who then sign documents using that. So it's just it's just interesting. They're um Gross margins are 80 percent, operating margins are about 25 percent, so we think there's huge room for multiple expansion, margin expansion there. And then you look at the earnings, and they're really consistent. revenues are supposed to grow high single digits for the next three years i think that's completely achievable earnings should grow about 30 percent next year and then mid single digits after that so you can kind of mine through and find these really high conviction companies even if you can't paint a broad picture so also in that space we haven't bought these yet but we're looking at zoom info and etsy and ulta beauty which are all companies that pulled forward during the pandemic Everyone was so disappointed that they didn't sustain those huge levels, but now they're trading at really reasonable valuations. So it's kind of a neat, neat time to be out there because even though the market's too high for my comfort, I don't like things broadly, beneath the surface, there's cool stuff going on.
2: Wow, nice move uh, in that stock as we're, as we're talking about that. <laughs> so, you know, Jason, it, it, I guess, begs the question as to whether it is, in fact, time to look at some of those more high-flying, at one time, higher valuation growth stocks. Right. And maybe say that mega caps have run as far as they can for a little bit. And some of these other growthy stocks need to catch up.
1: Yeah, And they've been decimated, many of them, including names like the one that Jenny bought. 100%. So I, I think what's super interesting when you look at high beta, I think that obviously expressed where sentiment is for growth. Right. So if I look at the names that I've owned in the past, Twilio, Shopify, DocuSign, I never owned DocuSign, but I I think that's a very compelling story, Jenny, to maybe take a look at it. Um, But for me, I think, you know, as I as I look at this orderly sell off that we've seen over the last month or so, I would be looking at some of the mega cap tech names and some of the growthier names as opportunities going into the fourth quarter. As for reasons I mentioned before, because I think earnings will be solid. And I think this is these are parts of the market that you need to be in.
2: Another growthy name on our list today is Datadog, because Joe sold it. Why'd you do that?
3: Sold the remaining half in early May. I purchased this stock at 86, sold half at the end of the month, somewhere around 93. Monday on the close, sold the remaining half at 88. It's really really a rotation within the market. I picked up some cues last week. I have uh, significant respect right now for valuation. Um, I I do not want to be in stocks where I believe The need for them to be reliant on the debt market is present, in particular, where we see the cost of capital as a continuing moving target. So I'm not ready, uh, to your point, to go to the place where a lot of non-profitable companies appear to be, given the significant declines they've had since 2021, appealing. I'd rather sit on the sidelines with that. And in fact, what I'm doing here is just kind of managing around the risk, Mm. rotating within the portfolio, and that's why I'm completely out of uh, Datadog. You don't like the DocuSign move? Um, I like DocuSign. I think DocuSign is a unique company. I know you like using it, but you don't like the stock? I I believe it's a unique company. I think it could, I think it has the potential to stand out against the rest of that universe of what we would call long duration, non-profitable companies. I think it has that opportunity. The one point that Jenny didn't make that I think is real is I do think this is a company that could be bought at, at some point. Uh, there's, so there's the M&A value in there as well. But if you're asking me, look, do you want to own DocuSign uh, because of the fact that I think long duration assets are still challenged, the answer would be no. Follow?
5: Well, so I think it's interesting because I, dur- I don't look at DocuSign anymore as long duration. Why not? Um, because they're actually profitable here and now. And so it was interesting because before, earlier in the show, when Joe, when you asked, sorry, when Scott, you asked, Joe, QQQ, you know, why is that under so much weakness? The immediate thing that I heard in my head was because a lot of the QQQ is long duration assets. And going into this year and all of last year, everybody was thinking, oh, higher interest rates, really damaging, damning to long duration assets. And so, you know, that's made up there. But I think that's where we sift through, right? So if you look at a Peloton or a Lemonade, which were kind of in the same boat during the pandemic as a docusign, like those are long duration because they're not profitable anytime soon, but they've Shifted, right. So some of those fallouts like and remember we were on with Josh and Josh was talking about Zoom a couple weeks ago. And we were both kind of surprised by how real those earnings are. So some of those fallouts are no longer long duration in terms of when the when the investors are getting their earnings from them. They're
3: like so they're current still they're, earnings they're, What you're
2: pointing out is that there's treasure amidst the trash. Totally. So to speak. That's a good point. Yeah. That A lot of these stocks got unfairly punished too much. Now, maybe they needed to come back to earth a bit but some of them just got punished too much that actually have real earnings right, right now, which suggests that maybe their valuations are right, finally, I, th- I, think that's, I think that's
5: exactly right. And I almost don't know if it's too much. Maybe they just got taken down to where they should be, and from this point forward, you can have reasonable growth. Because you know what? Like DocuSign's down 87%. Um, Do I expect it to go back to those levels? Absolutely not. Do I think we're going to have a 900 percent return in it? Absolutely not. You know, but maybe there's 100 percent, 150 percent return. So it's just set up for a for a functional future.
2: Okay. (laughs) continued in just a second. But I've got some headlines in front of me now from the New York Economic Club, where Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan is currently speaking. Three headlines I want to bring you from this. According to Mr. Moynihan, the Fed has won the near term battle on inflation. Interest rates will probably stay up longer. Consumers spent 4.5% more this September versus last September. So rates up, Fed winning, consumers still spending. That's where we get uh, from the New York Economic Club from Brian Moynihan. I want to get back to our conversation on, on mega cap. So Jim, yesterday afternoon, sitting here and closing bell, and there's a Wall Street Journal headline that says OpenAI is seeking a $90 billion valuation. Uh, in a share of existing uh, shares, a sale of existing shares. A valuation that in January was 30 billion. So threefold increase in valuation. It just raises the question yet again as to whether some of these stocks, maybe not all, are in a bubble. Um, You look at the gains year to date on some of these names, they're they're astonishing. Nvidia is up 188% year to date. Palantir 130, C3AI 120. Now, you could go down the list from CrowdStrike to the end of my list at Microsoft and you don't see a gain below 30%. And in many cases, you're 50% plus across the board. Many PEs elevated above market, but not you know dramatically in, 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 in several cases. However, you could look at this list like the NVIDIA, which you just bought more of, and say, pick shovels, I get it. I can see the finish line in some way of how they're going to monetize AI. The question I ask you is, can you look at a lot of these other stocks and see a finish line for the monetization question, which justifies not only the stock move, but in many cases, the valuation in which they trade?
4: Yeah, look, I think this is another great question. And, you know, there's a reason why I'm buying Nvidia, more Nvidia. It's not just that I'm underweight tech. It's not just that I'm underweight Nvidia and I want to get in the market. But the forward multiple, if you look at calendar year 24 multiple on Nvidia, it's 26. You know, this was a year and a half ago, two years ago, we were kind of holding our nose at 60 times forward multiple. The company has exceeded its operational results again and and again and again by, by margins that are extraordinary. That's why it's now at a 26 times forward multiple. I don't have to hold my Knows at all with that. Now, to the other names that you were bringing up, Scott, uh, I'm obviously not participating. That tells you what I think of them. But I will say this regarding a bubble. The the talk about AI sounds to me bubble-like. It does not, however, sound like it's a bubble that's imminently going to pop. Now, what I mean by this is you talk to people about in AI and they say things like, well, we haven't even scratched the surface of of the usage cases for AI. And there's a breathlessness with which I hear them speaking about it that to me is off-putting. Just to me, it's off-putting. Isn't that
2: that kind of the truth in that? You know, Jenny, you can point to monetization of some of these stocks very easily, and others, it's it's hype and hope of what we think, but we don't know we don't know when the when is. You know what I mean?
5: Right. So we were having this conversation. We did an investment committee meeting on Monday, and we were having this exact conversation. And and the way I think of how we're and who and how is going to benefit from AI glo- globally and over the next 10 years, it's going to be everybody. You know, and I was telling my team. If it weren't for the unbelievable progress in software over the past 15 years of my career, I would probably need to have a staff of 10 people more just to do our client reporting, performance reporting, management of it, but instead we have this remarkable software from InvestNet. And I think that's kind of the way, when we talk about who's really going to benefit from AI, it's going to be all of us. That wealth is going to be spread out. And I don't think, it, I've said this from the beginning, I don't think it's going to be concentrated in as few hands as a list, you know, as a list with just a couple companies. No, but, but I
2: think my, my point is that the few hands right now are the ones that you can see. Right. Mm-hmm. The Others are ones that are more opaque in terms of what you can really think about in terms of what's legit. Now, we asked our Christina Partzinevelos to take a look at this because she's been thinking about all of this, looking at the stocks, trying to separate hype from hope. Christina, what did you find on the back of this uh, open AI of chat GPT fame?
6: Well, the theme, the underlining theme right now is a lot of these companies, yes, are snapping up GPUs and that's helping a company like Nvidia, but what's happening is they're building out their AI infrastructures ahead of demand. And that is a big concern because we don't know how long that lag will be. McKinsey put out a research report saying that the adoption of AI could come within eight to 27 years. So Jenny says that yes, everybody's gonna benefit from these AI applications, But when is that actually going to happen? When is that going to increase productivity for companies? When are they actually going to create um, and monetize AI through their chatbots? That could be years out, which then puts a question mark around the run-up and the valuations to a lot of the names you alluded to, and I would put them into two categories. You have the hardware category, maybe Arista Networks, Marvell, Broadcom was on your list, NVIDIA, and I know you can argue that they're also in the cloud, but the hardware, so those are sunk costs that are happening right now. Five, six years from now, are companies gonna be spending millions and millions of dollars on building out their AI infrastructure again? Probably not. So then that comes to the second category, which would be AI cloud services. And this is the category that still has a lot of question marks. Which of these companies are going to benefit? AWS, you'd say they're great. They've been the leader in the cloud. But then why did they go invest in Anthropic? Does that show a sign that maybe they're not as far ahead within the AI uh, cloud world? Microsoft, Google are doing really well as well. What about, though, the other guys? Oracle, Salesforce, all of these run-ups that we've seen, how are they going to monetize AI? And so that's a question that I think a lot of those viewers right now that are watching that are long only should consider when they're buying some of these names five years from now, will these companies actually monetize AI in a way that'll help offset the upfront capex cost that they've been spending on all these GPUs?
2: Jason Snipe, everyone's being rewarded for what largely is unknown. Right. For many of these companies. I mean, Adobe, for example, and Arista, you know, Christina just mentioned some of these. Arista and Adobe are each up 50% year to date.
1: Yeah.
2: Adobe's PE on January the 1st, just as this AI hype was taking fold, taking hold, excuse me, uh, 22 times January 1st. Today, 29. Right. 22 Arista, 27 and a half. Right, right you see where I'm getting at? 100%. Now, I don't know whether the monetization runway, I don't know how long it is. No right. one does. Right. That's my point, maybe it's totally legit. The point is we just don't know. Right. So what as an investor do you do with stocks like this that either you don't own or you might own and they're up 50% amid some uncertainty in the
1: market? Right. So I mean, the, the example that you just gave, Scott, like Adobe, the multiple expansion 22, to, 22 times at the beginning of the year to 29 times uh, now, I look at it, NVIDIA, right, you know, we have Jimmy now that's in the stock, you know, that multiple has almost down. been cut in half. Cut, come right? down. Come down a lot. And clearly it's been because they've delivered on earnings, right? So if, even if I look at the guide for Q3 of 2024 for NVIDIA as um, $16 billion, it's almost three and a half billion dollars above where the street was from a consensus perspective. So we don't know what the use cases are. I think. Ultimately, it's going to improve productivity across the board. I agree with Jenny on that. I don't know how long it's going to take. So I think you have to be, um, you know, very discerning as you look at these names. And, and I, I agree with Jenny, you can't just buy the hype. You've got to really look at the earning structure and where the, where the company's prospects are going forward.
2: See, Christina, I mean, you know, this upcoming earnings season, you, you know, AI is going to be mentioned uh, across the board. And, and not just from the companies that are on our list here. It's going to be, as, as Jason was suggesting, harder to discern hype from reality.
6: Yeah, we can give the example of Micron this evening. We're still expecting negative free cash flow, uh, negative EPS for its quarter, but yet they'll probably talk about their new high bandwidth memory chip and how that's going to be so beneficial and so important for AI infrastructures because it's a memory chip that works really well in AI systems. Uh, To your point though, there's going to be a blurring across all lines from hardware that are working into software to software trying to create their own chips to compete. And that's it's when it makes it more complicated for investors, retail investors, especially to figure out who is going to monetize it. That's the underlying theme of, of what I'm trying to bring to you right yeah. now is the monetization and the question mark that remains around it.
2: Yeah. And we appreciate it very much. Thank you, Christina Partzinevelis. Up next, we're following more of today's big stock stories. Meta is about to kick off its biggest event of the year. We're following that. We've got other stocks on the move. We're back in two minutes. Another rough day for the Dow, as you see. Uh, There's Meta. We're watching that today because the company's annual Connect conference kicking off at the top of the hour. Uh, It is the biggest event of the year. Zuckerberg, CEO, keynote, 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we'll be following all of that. Joe, you own Meta in the Joe T. I
3: do. Please don't start talking about the metaverse again. I know. I, don't, I just don't want to. <laughs> that's my notes I don't want to turn back time and go there. Probably going to. And, and, and in fact, they are. So, um, but I, shouldn't I, they, though, but to a lesser degree, perhaps, than they have in the past? Okay, right? that's, that's fair. That's fair. But in terms of us as investors thinking about what the potential reaction could or could not be, for the stock. If there's an overwhelming focus on the metaverse, I'm concerned, especially given the way the market is sliding into the end of September, that you could see significant deterioration in meta. I Obviously, as someone that owns a stock, I don't want to see that. 300 bucks uh,
2: right on the nose. And it's been an incredible run from what, last November? The lows, right? Yep, Jenny, you own it too.
5: Right, we own it too. We've trimmed it a couple times around this three hundred level because it just got to be too big a position. Um, but we've, I, we, you know, at Gilman Hill, we feel the same exact way Joe does, which is like, I wish the Meta Connect would just go away kind of creepy, right, that they're saying we're going to have AI chatbots with distinct personalities. Like, that's kind of creepy. We don't really know how to handle that. We all know that from the movie The Social Dilemma and everything we've read, like, we know that this isn't really that great for young people. So it's more like, you know, let's just focus on the social community, the 3 billion users, the profitability, that it's actually been, like, really good on what their year of efficiency, that they're earning a lot of money. Let's just focus on that and leave this whole creepy metaverse side part aside. You know
2: what I find interesting, though? Um, It's one of the few mega caps. Now, maybe it's just simply a function of the gains that the stock has had since last November's lows. But Stephanie Link loves it. She's been trimming it on multiple occasions. Mm -hmm. You love it. You've been trimming it.
5: Well, we don't love it as much as we What does that say
2: did? about, No. I don't hear people, in other words, I don't hear people on this show say, you know what, Apple, I've been trimming that, Microsoft, trimming that, Alphabet, I'm trimming that, NVIDIA, yeah. really trimming, now Josh trimmed NVIDIA a while ago, but kind of get my point.
5: Yeah, I definitely get your point, point. maybe it's because we've had more of a wild ride on this, like Apple didn't have the roller coaster that Meta did, so seeing it down to under $100 a year ago and needing to, fight, like, we loved it. Last November when it was trading, you know, at 100 bucks ish a share. We loved it then. Right now, we're more like, okay, there's decent growth ahead. I think it's 24% um, expected earnings growth next year, 17% in 2020 2025, but it's trading at 19 times. So like we like it, but we don't have that enthusiasm that we did. Um, but I hear you on the trimming it, and I think it's probably psychologically like what is it twice once burned, twice shy, twice burned, once shy.
2: Jason Snipe, you own a lot of these stocks? Yeah. You don't own this?
1: I don't and I and I sold it, that was the the iOS. Change Apple, change right. So that that's oh, of which a had of... a dramatic impact. Yeah, absolutely. For a, you know, for absolutely. a few quarters. So we we missed the run up in the stock over the last year and a half. And you know, credit to folks that, that decided to jump in at the time. Um, but for me, yeah, I mean, the core that we like is kind of the AI play with Microsoft, you know, Amazon and 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 Apple. That that's that's where we are. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, Meta has worked very well. i
2: want to stick on Apple for just a second, guys. Can you can you do me a favor, please? Throw that back up. Just got noticed it's given up 170. Um, And there have been some calls of late. There it is, it's just under 170. Jimmy, there have been some calls of late from even the analysts who love this name. Eric Woodring, for example, Morgan Stanley, had a big conversation with him last week on closing bell in which he suggested, look, I love this stock. This new phone's gonna be fantastic. Early indications are that it's gonna sell well, that it already is. But yet, the stock can still trade down around 160. I I think it's a conundrum of sorts for investors looking at this today.
4: Let's see if we can solve it. Okay, this is at the end of the day, just a stock, you know, and there's been in the 10 years that you and I have been doing this, Scott, there's been all these times that people say it's Apple. You've got to own it. Don't don't treat it. Own it. And I think over the last three years, you've really seen the realization it's just a stock. Okay, now let's talk about what it is as a stock. It's a stock that has net income flat to down, but because it has such tremendous cash flows, it's buying back shares and its earnings per share are going up. It's got a business that's actually kind of hard to grow, at least in the hardware side. And the software is slowing, excuse me, services is slowing as well. So I'm not looking at what the multiple is. Maybe it's down there. You know, what is it? 25 times forward earnings? That that. might be close to the right price. Could it go down another 10%? I mean, it was north north of
2: 30. Go ahead. Let me finish. Yeah, go ahead, please.
4: Could it go down to 160? Could it go down another 10%? You bet. You want to know why? Because it's just a stock. Stop thinking about it as anything other than just a stock. Mm-hmm. It's Jimmy, not Jimmy's really
2: just a stock, though, is it? Yes, the, it no, is. Well, it's no, the but biggest it stock, is. and it, it does, it does more, the biggest buyback, too. Oh,
1: but,
4: it, but,
1: but
3: as a stock, it is a reflection of sentiment. You have yeah. to remember that the overwhelming majority of the time, these stocks, as Jimmy will call them, whatever the asset might be, They trade off of technicals. Fundamentals are not the overwhelming condition or reason why a stock moves on a day-to-day basis. And the technicals in Apple have suggested for the better part of the last three weeks that it's going to go down and it's going to challenge the 200-day moving average. Where are the which buyers? sits somewhere at the 160, come in the- Why would there be buyers right now? Well, well,
4: part of the whole thesis. Everyone knows the
3: thesis. Jimmy's raising a <laughs> I'm sorry,
4: buddy. I'm sorry. It, listen, I said this a couple of weeks ago. You kind of came back at me, which is fine. It's a falling knife right now. Why? Look, I'm underweighted. Of course, I want to own it. Why would I touch it? Why would I step in right now? I have a hole in my hand? So you're supporting Just, what I'm saying. I'm supporting what oh, you're no, saying. Just I, let it my, find my, its level. My only
2: point is that part of the still bullish thesis from people who are positive the market is that these stocks will be bought. They won't.
3: They won't let them fall too far you know when the majority do you know when, the majority, ah. buy, it, you know when the majority the dip when the majority the majority of people will buy the stock when they see the turn that's The majority the of people do not have enough of a conviction and that's why this this trading and investing uh, I don't want to use the word game but exercise is so difficult the majority of people they don't buy into the weakness they buy the turn they're waiting to see the turn they'll see the earnings and then they'll go, aha, they'll buy Apple when it's 175, okay, 180. So I are something Yeah, I'll yeah. give it to you just okay. a
2: second. So to your point, though, is we're going to have to wait a month. That this oh, thing I, could be squarely for a month because earnings, when are earnings? Are the
3: catalyst is earnings. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. But here's where
5: I think, You know, we agree on like 90 percent of things, but the (laughs) the one thing is I think Scott's right that it's not really just a stock because there is an emotional component in Apple that almost no other stock has
3: a reflection of sentiment
5: more than anything. And so what I find all the time is I'll review portfolios and people will say, like, I have an $800,000 position in Apple. I have a $700,000 position in Apple. My cost basis is $30,000, right? And so I think that people love it. Like people love this investment that they made so long ago. They love their iPhone, they love their iPad, they love everything, they love their Apple orchard. And so I think that when when we say they won't let it fall, I actually think what won't let Apple fall too far is that there's an enormous base of, of ownership in it that has super low cost basis that puts a floor on Apple in a different way. Couple that with people's just deep love of it. And the buyback. It, okay, and that. But I think that there is an emotional component that does Absolutely. differentiate Apple, like different than anything I've ever seen.
2: All right, so we're going to follow that. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Mike Santoli is next with his midday work.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life at Edward Jones.
0: Time. I'm Sylvana Hanau with your CNBC News update. New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez pleaded not guilty in a New York federal courthouse this morning. Menendez is facing corruption charges that allege he and his wife accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes in exchange for his influence. Both he and his wife entered not guilty pleas at their arraignments. The three other co-defendants in the case also pleading not guilty. Late night shows are coming back following the end of the screen writers Strike, Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Kimmel, John Oliver, and Seth Myers, who aired the podcast Strike Force 5, to support their writers during the strike, signed off with their last episode saying Late Night 5, signing back on. And former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick is offering to join the New York Jets seven years after his last NFL snap. The team is struggling after starting quarterback Aaron Rodgers suffered a season-ending injury. In a letter to the Jets, Kaepernick did not ask to fill this starting spot. He wrote that he would join the team's practice squad. Halftime is back after this.
2: Senior markets commentator, Mike Santoli. There he is. So, Mike, I want your reaction to something that just dropped from Marco Kalanovic, J.P. Morgan, um, who's been defensive, as we all know. And he's sort of doubling down, if you will. Why haven't we changed our defensive stance, he says, and what could come next? Despite the strong early summer rally, our framework continues to point to challenging macro fundamentals and headwinds for risky assets. He goes on to say, Mike, over the past six months, the headwinds for risks in our framework are stronger and tailwinds weaker. He's talking about interest rates, QT headwinds both being stronger, um, geopolitical factors deteriorating, valuations also being worse with an even larger gap, he says, between bond yields and equity yields, uh, risk premia, obviously. Um, Do you want to just comment on the kinds of risks that he sees as as we, some 46 or so minutes ago, we began our program by showing those bespoke stats that say, okay, September can be ugly. We get it. But the fourth quarter is generally not.
8: I mean, I think what the market's been struggling with is exactly at least some subset of the issues that Marco is citing there. I think most specifically uh, just constantly looking from bond yields to the dollar to oil prices and perceiving that as being a bit of a uh, kind of no escape route in terms of the macro economy. I'm not that taken with the bond yields versus equity, uh, earnings yields, uh, the, the false precision of that relationship. But obviously, the real economy is uh, susceptible to those pressures from, uh, from rates. So I think that's what the market's been been dealing with for a while right now. That's why we're down 7 8%. Um, doesn't change the seasonality. I think a lot of things are being piled on top of the market all at once. So you have this 7%, 8% decline. You have a little bit of mechanical fragility we can talk about in terms of you know the street selling into weakness because of various uh, levels that we're at and various option strategies and other systematic uh, issues. All that stuff coming as the 200-day moving average for the S&P comes into sight as we get to the end of this week's seasonal period. So it does seem as if the pressure is building for all those reasons. To me, if inflation is still coming down hard, if uh, if the economy can weather through it, that's going to ultimately decide where we go.
2: He, I mean, he does sort of zero in two on something that I know is near and dear to you, and that is the outperformance of mega cap. He cites seven to eight names accounting for yeah. in the entirety of the S&P gains relative to uh, the equal weighted Uh, S&P and small cap indices which are flat for the year and underperforming Fed funds, cash. That's very true
8: and I realize that right now anybody who is bearish is, is declaring victory on that basis and it's fair. There's, nobody's mind was changed this year, really, honestly. If you were bullish, you could look at the S&P. And, and I, I've drawn a distinction. When the equal-weighted S&P was also trending higher, even though at a slower pace than the mega caps, that was fine. Now they've kind of broken down. It raises the, uh, the burden of proof, I think, on, uh, on investors to say whether this is the bull market or not still.
2: Yeah. A couple hours. I'll see you. Uh, that's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. We're back. Uh, final trade still to come. Costco. Let's talk Costco. Uh, It is higher on earnings today. Conversation we're having off camera. Jason Snipe, it's your stock. You got it. Save us. got it. Yes. <laughs> Save me. we <laughs> yeah.
7: Will do. Save Bill.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. No, really, really liked the print uh, last night. Beat on the top and the bottom. Revenue was up 9%. EPS was up 16%. Also, traffic in the store is up 5%. So I think in this retail mess where, you know, you see a name like Target is down 26%. Walmart's up 13%. Costco has outperformed has been, I think, the lead dog here. Membership uh, strength is there. Their consumer base continues to to be strong. So I really like this name. It's expensive, 35 times forward, but I think it's worth the price of admission. Joey? You know how they
3: say the game of football is won in the trenches? This is exactly the trenches. What is the consumer going to do? How is the consumer going to respond to higher gas prices and student loan payments returning once again? Costco, which has been a constant in the ETF strategy since November of 2020, they excel. They are winning. They are able to offer consumers the necessities, what they need. It's the economies of scale. They are winning clearly. They're gaining market share just like Walmart is from Dollar Tree and Dollar General. And who's left behind? Target. I run with you. I mean, they
2: also have an extra offensive lineman than most other retailers, right, because they got the recurring revenues of the 100%. subscription.
3: 100%, right. And, and let's applaud them for creating the model that has had durability over many, many years. All right. Uh, Jenny, real quick, CarMax,
2: before the bell tomorrow, that's your stock earnings.
5: Right. So CarMax is interesting. It's up a bunch this year, but it's still down 50 percent from its high. The real um, holy grail for CarMax is returning to pre-pandemic earnings, which were $5.50. We think they're going to get there. It's going to take a couple years. So their margins have been worse. You know, they, they lowered prices to create more volume. Um, overall, it should be a perfectly good print. It's a great company, to leader in this space.
2: All right. Final Trades coming up next. Closing bell, three o'clock Eastern Time. We'll see where this market goes. With Josh Brown, Lauren Goodwin, we got Micron and OT. We'll walk you up to that as well. I hope you'll join me then. All right, let's do final trades. Farmer Jim and his twenty-six-dollar toaster.
1: I <laughs> was pretty 19, twenty-nine. Twenty-nine. Twenty-nine.
2: Oh.
4: Twenty-nine-dollar $29 toaster.
1: $10. Hey,
4: Toaster. toasted the Pop-Tart There's
2: just fine. As long fine. as it works.
4: <laughs> toasted the Pop-Tart just fine. As long as it, it works. Uh, not powered by liquid natural gas, but it could be. LNG, Chenier. Uh, LNG is the is source of fuel for Europe for the coming winter. Okay,
1: Jason Snipe. FedEx. I know transports have been a mess recently, but I like this name. They're going to be cutting some costs over the next few years, and I like it here. Okay, Jenny H.,
5: Stanley Black & Decker, another 2020 bubble stock that we added to the dividend income portfolio in May, 55 years straight of increasing that dividend, 4% yield.
3: Joe T. I can't give another energy name, so I'm going to give a unique trade. I think you buy puts on the consumer staple sector, the XLP. Wow. Okay. That's an interesting one. Uh, We'll follow the market. Uh, Dow's
2: (laughs) down 175, S&P 4256. I will see you in a couple hours on Closing Bell. Does it for us. The exchange is next.